Again, good morning. Welcome to Lake Forest Davidson. Great to have you with us. Good to be here together. My name is Gray. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And if you have been with us for the past month, or if you're new here today, again, want to want to welcome you. We are in the midst of a season of celebration. Last month, we celebrated 10 years as a church, which is hard to believe. Um, uh, t- yes, yes. Uh, 10 years, 10 years of packing up and setting up, 10 years of caring for our community, caring for one another. Uh, and, uh, and so I want to thank you all for being a part of that, again, whether or not you were there on day one uh, or this is your day one. We're glad you're here. Uh, the, our church community has, has ministered to, to my family. We've been here for three years now, and so our church, the church has cared for us, and we have done our best to care for the church. And that's the beautiful thing about being part of a church community uh, is that you, you both participate in and receive the ministry of the church. And so again, we are looking back and we are celebrating uh, 10 years of ministry here in Davidson. Uh, But we're also looking ahead to a couple of exciting things coming uh, down the pipe in the next year. Uh, The first one is at the end of 2020, or 2021, at the end of 2021, we'll be uh, becoming a standalone church within our denomination called Story Hill Church. You'll be hearing more about this in the weeks to come. Not a whole lot will change in terms of your uh, your day-to-day experience with the ministry here. I want to make you aware of that. It's an exciting step for us as we seek to, to love people here in our community and beyond. And then the, the other thing is we, are, we began this campaign called Established in Love. And many of you may have gotten a booklet uh, in the past weeks if you've been here. Or if you haven't, I would encourage you to grab one. They're on the, the circle table, kind of by the Bibles on the way out. And inside of it, you can, you can learn a lot about uh, what, what this campaign is all about. It's, it's about continuing the ministry that we've been doing the last 10 years. Uh, and, and it's primarily about increased engagement of our church uh, with that ministry. A big piece of that is the, the campaign to raise funds for the building on South Main Street, which we're very excited about. But it really is about increased uh, and a kind of a call to, to greater engagement in our community. And yes, that is with finances, but it's also with our time uh, and with our talents that we have. And so there's a card in there that looks just like this. Um, I would encourage you to grab it check it out and consider how you may uh, make a commitment to the ministry of this church. Again, there are ways to, to serve on here. There are ways to invite a friend, uh, but there are also ways to contribute financially. And so I would encourage you to take that, pray about it, maybe go walk on the land uh, and consider how you can be a part of the next 10 years uh, or the 10 years after that uh, of the ministry here in our community. But again, you'll see, if you get this book, you'll see throughout it, it is primarily stories of how God has worked in the lives of people in our midst. And that's really what, what this is all about. Mike, Michael said it every week we've talked about this, but the, the, the building is just a tool to do ministry in our area. It, it serves only to help us minister to people. And so as, as you read this book, you'll see stories of how God has used our church to care for, uh, for people in our community. And this morning, we have the pleasure uh, of hearing one of those stories. Uh, our very own Foster Carney... Uh, is going to join us now and share his God story. Thank you. Good morning. It's just a little tall for me. I'm just going to move it down a little bit. There we go. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Foster Carney. Um, I have a, uh, I'm, I'm married to Abigail, uh, who's my beautiful wife, and I have, I have an equally beautiful little girl. Her name is Rosalie. Uh, we started coming to uh, Lake Forest Davidson about a year ago. 
Um, and I actually found out about the church through my seminary. I go to seminary as well at Gordon-Conwell. And uh, there was a class that came up. It was a church planning class. And at the time, I was really interested in the dynamics of church leadership and the cultivation of a healthy church. And the reason for that is because my wife and I both have been a part of a couple of experiences that have been not so healthy, um, which happens from time to time. I remember my childhood being just amazing. Uh, I, I was a pastor's kid, so my Sundays looked like getting up at 6 a.m., going to McDonald's to grab a sausage biscuit, and then going to the high school to clean urinals. So it was fantastic. Um, and then tearing down after that. But there were so many great moments of deep connection and spirituality and helping others and really being connected as a church. So as I got older and got more involved with ministry, I got to see a little bit of the messy side and I was like, wow, church is really hard. I don't want to do that. So, you know, I, was try I tried to do something else and felt God call, it, call me back to the ministry. So in search of a place for um, a place that was safe for my family and a place to grow, we stumbled over some places that were a little bit more difficult and places where it didn't feel safe. So through that searching, I went to the uh, church planting class taught by Dr. Mike Moses, who is the founder of Lake Forest, um, and uh, learned a lot from him. Learned about some of the healthy planting uh, aspects of a church, and then decided that I wanted to speak to him a little bit more about this and try to wrap my head around it a little bit more and understand, uh, you know, what cultivating church looks like, you know, in a healthy way. So I went, met with him, uh, you know, told him my story, and he laughed, and I was just so ready to receive deep words of wisdom and find something fantastic. And so he laughed and he said, Foster, did you ever think maybe you were just a bad picker? <laughs> so we laughed, had a great belly laugh, and he said, you know, I think there's a place that you will find that will be a great place for you to really see how church works, a place where you'll see healthy leadership in action, and a place where you will feel safe with your family. So he told me about the Lake Forest Davidson campus. And so that happened about a year ago. We started coming here right when we started meeting in the field, um, which my daughter loves the chickens. She has mentioned to uh, Michael about needing a place to put chickens at our new building. So I'm sure that's in the budget somewhere. Um, so we started going there and found a great community. We got involved in a community group, and I have a fantastic group of people that I get to meet with and that I just love. So we've we found a great place to grow, uh, for me a great place to learn, and a wonderful place of healing. So if you're you know shopping churches or if you're looking, um, I encourage you to stick around uh, and and sort of take in what Lake Forest, soon to be Story Hill, uh, has. As Michael says, you know. As long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. So, and I find that that's most of us. Um, so that's our God story. That's how God brought us here. It's been a, a difficult but a wonderful experience. And uh, we've really enjoyed it. And we've really enjoyed our time here. So, and we're continuing to learn and grow. So, thank you. Thank you.
Foster? Uh, one of the things I love most about Foster is he's always looking to take the next step. He's very engaged. Uh, and, and these cars give us a way to kind of tangibly uh, take your next step, whatever that is. Again, there is a financial piece, but there's also maybe joining a community group is one of the boxes you can check, or inviting one more person searching for God to write their name down and to invite them to, them to church. So there is power in writing these things down sometimes. So I would encourage you to grab one. Again, pray about it. Uh, if you don't check the financial box, we're not going to call you and you know, say that you should or anything. Uh, this really is, I've said it already, but this is about uh, kind of your next step in engagement uh, in the ministry here at our church. So again, would encourage you to check those out. But Foster's uh, God story is is one tiny tile in the mosaic of, of God's great story, uh, the story he's writing throughout history. And we have spent all of 2021 thus far in a year-long sermon series called The Story, where we've been looking at the entire scope of the Bible, start to finish, Genesis Revelation, uh, to try to understand what is the story that God is writing. And we spent much of the first half of the year in the Old Testament. Much of the Old Testament pointed forwards in anticipation uh, to the coming Messiah, to the coming Christ. And we arrived in the Gospels last month. Uh, and the Gospels are, are four books at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you can think of them kind of like four different snapshots uh, of the same picture, uh, four different angles. Each of them give a different perspective, a different edge. I've heard a good analogy that it's, it's kind of like four different portraits, uh, four different paintings of the, of the same reality. Uh, and they all show us the life ministry uh, and kind of the eternal uh, consequences of, of Jesus' life on earth. And, uh, and we, we see that they're written as eyewitness accounts. I am not a, a literary scholar, but the literary scholars tell us uh, that the, the writing style tells us they are, they're written by people uh, who are telling a story that they themselves saw. They're not written as doctrine or like a theological treatise. They are written as eyewitness testimony. And so we were invited into this story to see the life of Jesus as those who were there saw it. And today we're looking at the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, which is believed by, by scholars to be the oldest gospel. And we're here in Mark 4, Mark chapter 4, and we've seen Jesus' earthly ministry began. He drove out demons in Mark 1. He's healed the sick. He's already performed many miracles. And we come upon him in Mark 4, uh, he's begun teaching by the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee is a, a prominent kind of lake in, in the area. Uh, it's a, a place that's familiar to a lot of folks who've been around Jesus. Uh, four of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen. And many think that they fish on the Sea of Galilee. So they're here at a familiar place, and a large crowd has gathered to hear Jesus teach. And he's teached all day. Again, we see a lot of this in, in Mark chapter 3. And then we pick up in Mark 4, at, near the end of the chapter, uh, in verse 35, that Jacob read for us. It says, That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And the Sea of Galilee, I mentioned it was a familiar place. I'm also not a, an expert on geology or topography or anything like that. 
But the experts on geology and topography and things like that told me that it is located uh, hundreds of feet below sea level, like compared to the Mediterranean Sea nearby. It's, it's down in a low point, but it also has these high, steep hillsides. You can see a picture of the Sea of Galilee right there. So it's down, almost looks like in a valley, but there are steep hillsides on the side. Um, and they say that, that this combination of topography causes uh, storms to be very common in this area. So again, Peter, Andrew, James, John, these guys have been on this sea before. Chances are they've seen a storm before. But we read in verse 37, a furious squall comes up and the boat is nearly swamped. So, so we know immediately this, this, is, this storm is something different. This is not just your, your can of corn squall on the Sea of Galilee. This is something different. And, and, and we read again in verse 35, evening had come. So picture this. Uh, when I envision the story, I often think of it happening in daylight, but evening had come. It's, it's the night. They're out in the middle of this. It's a big, a big lake. I mean, it's huge. Out in the middle of the water, it's dark. Wind starts ripping through. Thunder, lightning cracking around them. The boat's rocking. Waves coming over the side. You got the waves. You got the water from the waves to worry about, but then you also have the water from the rain to worry about. Uh, and so your boat is taking on water very fast. You can't see anything except for when the lightning flashes, and then you're just seeing a bunch of people freaking out, trying to, you know, bail water or whatever they, whatever they do. And they're on a small boat. So I think of a terrifying, disorienting, confusing, panicked scenario. In the South, we, we've experienced, we experience some song, strong summer storms, you know, the types where like the thunder just shakes your walls. Uh, the ones that are like make your dog hide under the, the couch and stuff. They, those are scary when you're inside, but to be out on a boat, a small boat in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, uh, it was a frightening scene. And again, presumably, these guys have been on the water before, presumably they were bailing water or doing whatever you do to try and not sink. Again, I'm not an expert on driving boats in the Middle East either. <laughs> but doing whatever you do, furiously trying not to be swamped. So they were doing all they could, uh, but then it gets to the point, you read about it at the end of verse 37, so that the boat was nearly swamped. So it gets to the point where it seems like we need to start making some hard decisions here. Because uh, what we're doing now is not working. And so we read in verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Stern is the back. I had to look that up. Also not an expert on boats. Stern, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And this, and that's interesting because it, they didn't go to him and say, Jesus, we need another man on a bucket. They didn't go to him and say, Jesus, can't you do anything? They went to him and they, they berated him for his inactivity because it felt like indifference. It felt like, don't you care? Him sleeping back there felt like he didn't care. They said, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? His inactivity felt like indifference. And two thoughts from this. Uh, there are two ways you can read this, the we in that sentence. Don't you care if we drown? You could read the we as the disciples. So like they're, they're going to say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Like, don't you care about our lives? 
Don't you care if we die? And again, there's the the popular line like, hate isn't the opposite of love, it's indifference. Indifference is the opposite of love. So they're saying, Jesus, don't you love us? Because it feels like indifference. The other way you can read the we, though, uh, is you can read we as everyone in the boat. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you care about the mission? Don't you care about the fact that all that we risked, all that we've lost, all that we walked away from, all, all with the belief that this, this mission you're taking us on was going like, to go to the top? Don't you care if it just all goes down at the bottom of the lake in a storm? That's not how this is supposed to end. It's not, it's not supposed to end in death. I don't know which one they meant. Maybe, maybe both. Uh, but Jesus, they say this to Jesus, uh, and they just woke him up. He's very patient. Uh, he doesn't respond. Uh, doesn't respond to this, not yet, at least. We read verse 39. He got up, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And just picture the scene. Again, where we were with the, the thunder and the lightning and the disorienting, frantic craziness. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, the morning on the lake, just calm as glass. And I picture, like, the boat kind of still rocking, but everything's flat around it and, you know, it's half full of water and there are buckets floating and stuff like that. And so, so like, this aftermath of this chaos all in the midst of this extreme calm. And the way storm, again, I'm also not an expert on storms, the way storms work is when like, when a storm passes, the waves kind of gradually die down. It doesn't, like when storms end, it doesn't light switch off like that. And so again, picture the moment going from this terrifying darkness to almost like uh, an eerie, tranquil calm. Dead calm and dead quiet. And in Jesus calming this storm, we, we see two things about it. First one, we see Jesus' power. We see Jesus' power. He says the words, be still. Also not an expert on Greek, but the Greek word is phomao. And it means to close the mouth with a muzzle. So we often talk about this as, as calm, Jesus calming the storm. And I think of calming like, oh, it's okay. No, Jesus was, was muzzling the storm. Jesus was closing the mouth of the storm. Picture it like with his hand. Closing the mouth of the storm. And interestingly enough, we see the same word, the same Greek word in Mark 1.25 when Jesus is is talking to the demon-possessed man and he talks to this demon and he says the same word, Fomao, be still. And he muzzles the demon. And so what we see here again is Jesus' power. We see his power. We saw his power in Mark 1 with the demon over the spiritual realm. And in Mark 2, or Mark 4, we see his power over the physical realm. And the second thing we see here, and this is related to the first, but we see this, this is Jesus showing himself to be God. And we often miss this, uh, but we see throughout the Old Testament that, that it, is, it is God who controls the sea. Genesis 1 you know, the Spirit of God hovering over the water, and then, then the, the, the water was separated from the sky. 
Exodus 14, 15, you see the Red Sea, God opening it like a book. Psalm 89, 8 through 10, you, God, rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. We see in Psalm 93, 3 through 4, the seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. So the psalmist is saying that the seas are rising. The mighty, terrifying ocean is rising. But then he says, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So the master of the sea, the master of the ocean, is God and God alone. And we see this on the very last verse. uh, Because there's this weird... The last verse almost seems like it doesn't fit, where the disciples say, it's verse 41, it says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They've seen him draw out a demon. They've seen him heal someone who seemed not to be able to be healed. But they recognize this is something different. They, they know their scripture. They know that one, one thing controls the waves, and that is God. And so in Jesus' power exhibited over the sea, they see at an even deeper level that Jesus is God. So again, go back to the scene, though, where it's dead calm. The, the, you just had, like, the scariest hour or whatever of your life, and then it, all of a sudden, in a blink, it's calm. And I told you Jesus, Jesus was going to respond to them, and here it comes. Jesus turns, and he asks them a question, and and Jesus does this. Uh, he asks them a question that, that's so simple, but it's also it's surgical, which is where it gets right at the crossroads of where, where their, their faith and their doubt intersect. It's it right at the crossroads of, of the, the, uh, the dark corners of their heart. Surgically gets in, gets in there, and Jesus asks a question that puts a finger on it. Asks them a question that, 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 that shines a light on the dark parts of their soul and sees things in there that we can't even see ourselves. I'll get to the question. Uh, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid is really the question. And, And this is a question that challenges us even today. Why are you so afraid? Social commentators have called our, our time the age of anxiety. Uh, and many of us are, are very afraid. Why, why are you so afraid? Why are you fearful? Why are you timid? Why are you anxious? And notice there, there are a couple things about this. It's why are you so afraid? It's not why were you so afraid. It's not why were you so afraid during the storm. That would be a kind of silly question. Why are you so afraid? The storm has ended, and yet Jesus, the the verb is present tense. Jesus is saying, you're still afraid. The storm is over, but you are still afraid. And it makes me think of uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, where Paul writes, God has given us a spirit of, has, has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and love and a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I think Jesus is saying, why do you have a spirit of fear? Again, he, he's separating the circumstantial from the soul level, from the spiritual. It's a spirit of fear. Why are you so afraid? And go back. Uh, the question they ask, is this is really where we see this, this spirit come out in them, uh, is in 438. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And at the core, this question was not a question of could God save them? Could God intervene? But it was a question of would he? Don't you care? It wasn't can't you save us, it was don't you care enough to save us? Not could he, but would he? And it was a question of whether or not God could be trusted all the way to the end. They could trust God uh, as the demon was was being muzzled. They could trust God as the man was being healed. Could they trust God when the waves were rising? Could they trust God when the, the winds were raging? Could they trust God when they were surrounded by darkness? When it felt like things were moving backwards? And the The last year and a half has, has taken a, uh, a toll on an already anxious world. For me personally, the, the first year or so did not involve a great deal of, you know, given my demographic, I wasn't too concerned about death, dying, for me. I, I obviously was for many others. Um, but with the, the coming on of, of Delta, that began to be more of a uh, thought in my mind. The, the, storm, the storm, the waves began to rise in my mind, and I had many of those uh, long nights laying in bed, tossing and turning, uh, being afraid of, of what might happen. The reality that it was hitting people more in my demographic more. Uh, I, in hindsight, I see the spirit of, of fear that, that welled, up, welled up within me. And, and as I, you know, night after night was, was wrestling with this fear, uh, began to realize I wasn't as much afraid of if I were to die. Because, uh, I, mean, I mean, I would be afraid of that, obviously, but... Uh, but my, my real fears would be um, kind of the aftermath of that. Because I, ultimately, I, I trusted God with kind of where, where eternity would lead, where I to go. But the, the aftermath is what kept me up at night. Um, the thought of, um, you know, my, my storm, per se, was wrestling with the thoughts of uh, what... Uh, how would Annika do, my wife? She has dealt with a great deal of loss in her life, and would this be the thing that ultimately broke her trust in God's goodness? Uh, and thinking about my girls, um, would not having a father uh, be 
set their life where they had a hard time recognizing or uh, trusting their Heavenly Father. Um, all, all of these thoughts where my fear, again, was less about my life, but and was, was more about, like, God, if the waves come, and if the boat begins to sink, can I trust you then? If I can no longer be the one to care uh, for the ones that I love, can I trust you to do it? Uh, and that was where my, my spirit of fear lurked uh, in my life. And, and I'm a dad, so I know that that's present in my life in a very real way, in the way it may not be for many of you. Uh, but I think many of us have this fear, a spirit of fear that is almost underneath the question of the storm. Um, we, we fear the storm itself, but we also fear, can we trust God when we're in the midst of that, when we've entered the storm? And for you, maybe, that, maybe it is fear of, of your life uh, and what, what, might, what might manifest itself if your life were to end. Or maybe it's uh, something a little more tangible. Maybe you're afraid you won't get a promotion. Or maybe you're afraid you'll kind of just be bound for mediocrity in your career. And, and if that happens, if I enter that storm, God may deliver you, he may not. But if you enter it, can you trust God that he will be with you in the midst of that storm? For many of us, it's, what if I never get married? You know, again, God may, God may uh, match you with someone and he may not. But if he doesn't, can I, God, can I trust you then? God, can I, the question is, can I trust you in this storm, no matter how the winds blow? Can I know that you'll be there with me, even if things get sideways, even if we're surrounded by darkness? Can I trust that you'll be there with me in the storm? And so how do we go from a spirit of fear to a spirit of faith? Uh, I, I do think a big part of it as I discussed, uh, as I shared with you, I think you've got to know what you're actually afraid of. Um, and you, gotta, you, you have to take that to God and talk to God about that. And, and if that's tossing in your bed at night, then I would pray and, and, and be real honest um, that, you know, God, I, I trust you with me. Do I trust you with them? Do I trust that, that even if, if I'm not here to see it, that you would that you would, would care for them even better than I would know how to, and that you would be at work in their lives. So I, I would, if, if you're trying to go from a spirit of fear to a spirit of faith, I think that's the first thing, is, is being honest with God about what you're afraid of. And, and say what you will about the disciples, but they were honest with Jesus in the back of that boat. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? They weren't being polite. They weren't telling them what they thought Jesus would want to hear. Uh, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Because again, and I don't have to tell you guys this, but the, the storms will come. They have come and they are coming again. Some of us are in storms right now. But, but the question is, is, is where do we go to 
in the midst of the storm? Who's in our boat with us? We don't go from a spirit of fear to a spirit of faith by, by closing our eyes to the storm, uh, as, as some other world religions would have us do, to try and detach ourselves and deny the height of the waves and deny the, the darkness of the darkness. What, what is uniquely Christian and different about our faith is that in the midst of the storm, uh, the waves that will come, we have God with us in the boat. We have the Lord of the storm with us in the storm. We have the master of the waves alongside us in the waves. And our faith, our faith rests on that. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. That's what it's all about. If, if we believe that, do not fear, for I am with you. Because the, the, the ship that, that is our lives, if, if, if the master of the storm is in it, though we may be tossed, though the boat may rock, though it may seem like we're going under, our souls will never sink. Psalm 18. Uh, this is just one to remember. He reached down. God reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. So again, it's the, the foes were too strong. It, it is, uh, a spirit of faith is not about denying the strength of our foes, but it is about casting our eyes and our trust on the one with us in the boat. It's the only way. And we can trust that he is good not only that he is powerful in the master of the storm, but that he is good uh, as we continue through these Gospels and we will see that, that there is a greater storm coming in Jesus' life here on earth. A greater storm that, that he would not calm, but he would step into. He would step into the waves, into the confusion, into the darkness, so that we might have peace, so that the waves might still, and so that our death would not be our end. And so I'll leave, close with a question um, that I really would encourage you to, to wrestle with, with God. Um, the question is, why are you so afraid? And how might your life look different if you trusted that the Lord of the storm was with you in the storms? Why are you so afraid? And how might your life look different if you really trusted that God was with you in whatever the storm may be? So I'll give a minute or so now uh, for you to talk to God, and then I'll close us with a, a poem, and then Matt will, will take us back up. So... Take this next minute to, to talk and pray with God and, and consider uh, the question, why are you so afraid? And how might your life look different 
if you trust that God is with you in the storm. Though winds and waves assault my keel, he doth preserve it, he doth steer, even when the boat seems most to reel. Storms are the triumph of his art. Well may he close his eyes, but not his heart. Amen.